Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. If you have a question you want us to answer here on the podcast, just send an email to podcast at mach1fg.com. If you want to learn more about your financial future, you can schedule a free consultation with any of our advisors here at Mach 1 with absolutely no obligation. Just head to mach1fg.com for more information. All right, David. So today we're going to talk about financial products, I guess you could say. So we've got on the agenda, we've got stocks, ETFs, mutual funds. A couple of these are actually pretty relevant with some things that we've had going on here at the firm with some new ETFs getting launched by some of some of our money managers, but uh, might get into other products as well or assets. Um, different asset classes. But t- so today's focus is financial products. What are the differences, the pros and cons, um, when to use one, why, when, you know, one might be appropriate versus the other. And I, I always like to tell clients when I'm look when we're talking about, you know, um, where do we put our money is every financial vehicle out there is going to have the, its pros and cons. And you've talked, you talked about this a lot, David. Absolutely. It's ultimately finding which pros you like and which cons you're comfortable with and then which ones work together well with the other products or, or investment strategies that you have in place. So something to keep in mind, every financial vehicle has its pros and cons. Today, let's jump into what are the, some of those financial vehicles. So the most common, this is basic, so we're starting basic here, yeah. but describe, if you don't mind, David, what a stock is and and the pros and cons associated with owning stock. A stock, also uh, some people will refer to it as equities, but a stock is basically just a fractional ownership of a business, right? When you, if you buy a share of Walmart stock, you're buying a tiny fraction of Walmart's business, their profits, basically. Um, so um, when we, when when people invest in stocks, they're it's a great part of capitalism, in my opinion, because you're able to invest your money in a company that then is able to make a product or service that hopefully is improving people's lives in some way, either by, you know, like in in the case of Walmart, by having stores that are really convenient and close where you can do one-stop shopping and get everything, or in the case of, say, Apple Computer, where you can have an iPhone in your hand that, I mean, that does all the things that an iPhone does. For those of you who are old enough to remember, you know, before the iPhone existed, it's hard. It's almost hard to comprehend that and go back to the day before the iPhone and think of a of a phone that only makes phone calls, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the point being that you know when you buy when you put money into a stock, you're putting money into a corporation. You're buying a fractional uh, percentage of that company, and they're able to use that to make more tennis shoes if it's Nike, or to make more or better iPhones if it's Apple. Make whatever the product or service is, depending on what the company is that you're investing in. It's, yeah. a, it's a great system. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, and that's the, that's the benefit of 
being able to invest in stocks is being able to participate in that, right? It gives the a- a- average Joes like me and you, yeah. David, the ability to participate in what a company like Apple is trying to do. That's right. And own a part of that where, you know, if you didn't have public markets and, you know, publicly traded stock, we wouldn't, you know, we would have, we would not have access to that. So what's, what are some of the downsides associated with owning stock? Well, the, the downsides are usually the obvious ones, which is the fact that you can lose money, right? Companies can and do go bankrupt. It happens all the time. And so if you own a a share of stock and that company goes under, you're going to be the last person in line to get your money back. Typically it's like bondholders are at the front of the line. And then I think it's, preferred stock and then stockholders so you're you're you know you're basically at the back of the line to get whatever is left if anything after the company uh liquidates and goes bankrupt and sells off all their assets and so forth so you've got you've got risk of loss when you own a stock because you're basically i mean you're you're a business owner you know like i I look looking at mach one financial you know i started this company 16 years ago and you know putting money into it i mean the the company could have failed years ago and i would have lost everything that's the risk of being in business well it's the same risk when you buy a stock because you are a business owner you're just owning a tiny fraction of it so the risk is that you could lose you could lose your principal right yeah and that's the i guess that's kind of the bigger um the larger risk even what i would say even what's more common is just timing risk so say the company doesn't go under but as we all know stocks can be extremely volatile and go up and down you know constantly on a day-to-day basis well if you're forced to liquidate that or need to sell that at the wrong time then even if the company isn't going under hasn't gone under you may be selling at a loss or you may you always have that timing risk just because of the volatility that's right and so that's why you you've heard us talk about it on this podcast and for those of you who are clients, you've heard us talk about the the need to have, you know, six months worth of living expenses in that emergency account. Right. And um, for many of you, you've also heard about us. Uh, you've heard us tell you that you shouldn't have all of your money in the market, in equities, in stocks. You should have a portion in stocks and a portion in zero risk assets or lower risk assets, whether it be bonds or our chosen lower risk asset tends to be fixed annuities. But having in addition to your six months worth of living expenses in cash for your emergency fund, by doing that, you you kind of mitigate or or even eliminate that timing risk that you're talking about. Right. Absolutely. So, okay, moving on from stocks. So that was a a little bit of a little bit about stocks. Um, it's what everybody likes to talk about. I feel like is what stock to own or what yeah. stocks going straight up, you know, vertical. Um, let's look at ETFs. So we hear a lot about mutual funds and ETFs. I think Dave Ramsey like put mutual funds on the map. It seems like you know because that's all he talked about <laughs> yeah. for years. It's still all he talks about. And so everybody, a lot of people that we talk to, a lot of people in the South or in the Bible Belt, you know, Dave Ramsey followers. It's mutual funds, mutual funds, mutual funds. So let's touch on what is a mutual fund, if you want to cover that, and then I'll get into what an ETF is. It's a little kind of newer version or newer alternative to mutual funds. You bet. So a mutual fund is just a a way for investors to pull their money together, um, and they're able to do collectively what they may not be able to do individually. So, for example, let's say that you um, 
back in the day you you wanted to invest in a bunch of bonds because you know back when bonds were doing well um and you wanted something that was going to pay a a decent coupon of maybe five percent or something like that uh but you didn't want to put all of your eggs in one like you don't want to buy gm bonds for example because you don't want to have that single stock risk that that the company that you're loaning your money to via a bond might default on their debt so you could go buy a bond fund and your money gets uh combined with lots of other investors and they're able to go buy a whole portfolio of bonds which you may not have been able to afford to do if you've got a thousand dollars in the bond fund for example um you would never be able to buy a diversified portfolio of say 50 or 100 different bonds with that thousand dollars but when you buy into that bond fund you are able to buy a diversified portfolio of bonds because your money is like i said combined with hundreds or thousands of other investors and so you're able to do collectively what you can't do individually or the same thing holds true with a stock mutual fund so same thing you're putting your money into this fund it's being combined with lots of other investors and then the the fund manager of that portfolio is going out and investing all that money in a bunch of different stocks maybe 50 maybe 100 maybe several hundred different stock names within that within that mutual fund and so you're able to buy a broad diversification instead of investing instead of investing in just one individual single stock you're able to invest in 50 or 100 or 200 stocks with a fairly small amount of money so the advantage of mutual funds has been again it allows small relatively smaller investors to do collectively what they couldn't have afforded to do prior to the advent of mutual funds what they couldn't have afforded to do individually right a couple nuances with mutual funds also is that you know they trade at the ending day net asset value so that's one of the things I've never really loved about mutual funds is that you can't trade them intraday. Like you can't go in and say, okay, today at noon, I want to put in a sell order and you know liquidate yep. this position. You have to wait and it's liquidated after the close. And then the next day you see the cash in your account. So it's just, it's a little, I don't know, maybe clunkier from a trading yeah. perspective to get in and out. The One of the newer, alter, this been, they've been around for a while, but one of the newer than mutual fund alternatives is the ETF. Right, so just like David was explaining, a, a way to access a broader diversified portfolio of investments, um, you can go out and buy a, a share of an ETF. A lot of similarities to a mutual fund, but a couple key differences is that ETFs do trade intraday, right? So you can go in just like a stock and say, hey, at 10:30 today, I want to buy, you know. 10 shares of you know SPY, which is an S&P 500 index ETF, then you can do that and you immediately it'll get filled because there's plenty of liquidity and volume there and you can make those trades intraday, um, which is a huge advantage. Another advantage to the ETFs versus mutual funds is how they're handled from a tax perspective. Now, full disclosure, uh, the current administration is looking at making maybe making changes to this so we'll see how this changes over time but ETFs currently don't have to pass the capital gains or the profits of the fund out to the shareholders in the form of distributions which that may sound like a bad thing but it's not those profits are kept within the fund and reallocated and um, 
you know, the, the price of the fund itself goes up. Versus, so it's much more tax favorable versus a mutual fund. If you have dividends that come in or gains that are created within the fund, they have to pay those out in the form of dividends from the fund itself, which makes forces you to incur those gains along the way. So they're just a little less favorable from a tax perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, so like with a mutual fund, just to, just to make that example clear, if you've got a, a mutual fund and say within the course of the year, they at let's say early in the year they held apple stock and maybe late in the year for whatever reason they sold or sold a portion or all of their apple stock they're going to have a capital gain within attributable to the fund which then gets distributed to the fund holders in the form of a 1099 assuming it's in a non-ira account it gets distributed to the fund holders in the form of a 1099 at tax time right yeah absolutely so Whereas if it's an ETF, even though it may be the exact same basket of stocks in the exchange traded fund or the ETF, as opposed to, in other words, the ETFs can have the exact same stocks that the, that the mutual fund has, but just because it's an ETF, depending on the tax structure of that ETF, even if they sold, using my example, Apple at the end of the year, if you didn't sell your shares of the fund, you don't have to realize the uh, capital gain. Right, exactly. And one thing to keep in mind, I get this question a lot, is, you know, people people with the questions or the thought that because it's a mutual fund or because it's an ETF, it's going to inherently perform better or worse, right? Or, right? And so one thing to keep in mind is, you know, we do a lot of what we call separately managed accounts here at Mach 1. So, you know, where you have a lot of the individual positions within your account, there's a portfolio manager managing the strategy within it. And the example I give is, you know, it's really... When you're comparing like a mutual fund or an SMA, separately managed account, or an ETF, it's all about just the wrapper it's wrapped into. If you owned all of these identical positions within all of those, the only differences are going to be the fees that you're charged and the way the taxes are handled, That's right. essentially. So, um, the, But from a performance standpoint, they would be performing identically. That's right. Yeah, we, we see this problem all the time, folks, for those of you who are listening out there. What, you know, Matt used the example of whether it's a mutual fund or an ETF or, an ind- or a basket of individual stocks in the form of a separately managed account. I also see it when it comes to IRAs and Roth IRAs and non-IRAs. Uh, people oftentimes think, think that it's the wrapper that it's in. Like, oh, well, is this Roth IRA going to perform better than, than this traditional IRA that I've got? Well, no, it's, it's, it, it depends on what are the stocks or the investments or the funds that are held within that wrapper, within that Roth IRA or within that IRA or within that trust account or, with, or within that separately managed account. So, um, and I think this is especially true for people who uh, have a particular person that they listen to a lot. Like you, you mentioned Dave Ramsey. Um, we, we find that a lot of uh, Dave Ramsey listeners tend to have this belief that, well, it's got to be mutual funds, right? Because that's what Dave Ramsey is talking about all the time. And that's just, I mean, folks, I can't say it any clearer. That's simply not true. The, I'm not saying that mutual funds are bad. Mutual funds are good. It's just that you can't, you can't have this opinion or viewpoint that, well, if it's not a mutual fund, then it's it's not going to have as good a performance. The in fact, in many many cases, the exact opposite is true. If it is a mutual fund, it might actually have higher internal expense ratios than say an an exchange traded fund or a separately managed account. So um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this issue about uh, it's not 
the wrapper that the investment is held within that determines the quality of that investment and the investment performance. That'd be analogous to, um, you know, like for children, you, you have small children, right, Matt? Yep. And, uh, you know, small children can get enamored with the box at Christmas time right. more than the actual present within it. But people who are more educated, let's say more informed, a little bit older and more mature, they understand that the value of the present is where? Inside the box. It's what's inside it. It's right. what's held within the box, not the container itself. So when when people start getting enamored with whether it has the title mutual fund or ETF or SMA, which stands for separately managed account, um, that's like the little baby that's being enamored with the box at Christmas time, rather than asking the more intelligent questions, which is, okay, help me understand better what's held inside that box. Right. Then I'll know whether that's a, a good present or a bad present. Right. Yeah. I, from my, from my point of view, you know, as the advisor, and I think you would agree, David too, it's like asking the question of like, okay, that's great. This is a mutual fund or an ETF or an, but what's the actual strategy? Right. Like, or who's managing, who's the portfolio managing right. this and what is their, what are their underlying goals and how are they making decisions on a day to day basis? Like, those are the questions Those are the informed that you questions. should be concerned yes. about as an investor, not are you using mutual funds, ETFs, or stocks. Right. And because uh, we, we're not inherently biased to any of them, right? I mean, we're ultimately, we, we typically use, you know, SMAs and ETFs for the most part because we think they make the most sense in most situations. But to your point, like you mentioned earlier, Mutual funds can make perfect sense in the right situation. And right. If, there, if, it, if there's a situation that we won't hesitate at all to use a mutual fund. So you have to really dig into, ask the hard questions of, okay, well, that mutual fund has a great track record, but like, what is it doing? What's the strategy? And is that appropriate for me? Right. That's right. And I like your point, Matt, about asking the questions about what's the strategy of that manager within the fund, because... You can't even necessarily, you, you know, the old adage, past performance is no guarantee of uh, future performance. Um, well, the, the same applies to, to mutual funds, SMAs, ETFs, or whatever. You can't simply look at the past performance of that fund and say, oh, well, they've been averaging 12% a year or whatever it is. So I want that fund right there, right? Right. Because just because they've been doing that in the past doesn't mean they'll do it in the future. So you have to look, if you're looking at a mutual fund, you have to look at, Who's the manager? I need to understand that manager. I need to understand how he or she thinks. And I need to understand what causes their decisions to, why would they buy this stock versus that stock? And what, why would they sell this stock versus that stock? And what, what would cause them? What are the criteria that they would use to buy or sell? And how, do they, how are they going to protect me if the sky falls and we have another 2008 type market? How are they going to protect me in that type of environment? Right, right. No, I think it's this is a really good conversation. And another thing that I'll see on like mutual funds in particular, just because the reason it may sound like I keep refer, going back to mutual funds, but they've been around for a while, yeah. you know, and they're popular. So um, is, you know, you may have a fund that's been out since like 95, but the current portfolio manager 
has been has been there for like two years. Yeah. Right. And so like you look at oh this has a great twenty five year track record like you were saying David. Well that's great but that was Susie Q. <laughs> that was someone else's track. Two record. decades ago yeah. now it's John Smith. It's like well how the heck is he going to do it? You can't right. solely to your point look at the past performance. And there was years ago I, I I need to go back and find this but I saw something on mutual funds that was actually showing how solely looking at past performance was actually the worst way to perf- to judge a mutual fund because historically like actively managed mutual funds the ones that had just performed the best in the like subsequent like 2 to 3 year period like were the worst performers over the next yeah x number of years right yeah. because it's hard investing is not easy and so like keeping that up over a sustained period of time is really difficult and so anyways it just ask a lot of questions it's, so what- so what? So let's talk a little bit about how we do it at Mach One Financial. What do we look yeah. for? Well, we, you know, we work mostly with separately managed account managers, SMA managers. Some of our SMA managers uh, have developed their own ETFs because, right. due to the success of their SMAs. So Matt, can you speak briefly to you know what are some of the things we look for here at Mach One Financial? Yeah, so, yeah. So when we're looking at a money manager, uh, again, this can come in the form of an SMA money manager, an ETF money manager, whoever it may be. We're looking for ultimately at a high level managers that investment philosophies are aligned with ours, and so our our clients know that you know we believe you need to be invested, stay invested, and stay hedged. You know, unless you're just very very young and you don't you're not worried about the volatility like. If you're, as you're approaching retirement, you need to be protected on the downside and stay hedged. So our SMAs and our ETFs that we use that you said they just launched, um, you know, they they have that approach. They're finding us opportunities for performance, but also managing, you know, the, the downside risk in different ways, right? And so we're having ongoing calls with those guys that, David, you've done business with the various money managers we use for years, and we have ongoing regular calls. We just had one um, they, you know, they come to town a lot. So this, this is a relationship that we have. It's not a, it's not a judgment based on what a specific tear sheet or performance yeah. numbers may say. And yeah. so there's an ongoing involvement on our part in those strategies, just because our clients use them and we stay in touch and have, you know, relationships. And we look to invest in things that we understand also. For example, we get, you wouldn't believe the number of times that we've get, gotten questions about investing in Bitcoin, for example, um, we don't, I, I tend to avoid anything that I can't fully comprehend and explain myself. And Bitcoin for me is just one of those things. I can't, I can't explain it. I can't understand it. Um, and so, you know, we would not, for example, look to, uh, a strategy that's going to invest in Bitcoin. Um, however, uh, by contrast, one of the strategies that we do use heavily is an artificial intelligence-based hedged equity strategy. So, because I understand it, I understand what it's trying to do. It's collecting metadata from the internet uh, and applying an artificial intelligence algorithm to that data to be able to predict earnings and revenue surprises. That makes sense to me. I was a computer science major by background from the Air Force Academy, so that whole AI thing makes sense. The the, uh, whole idea of collecting data and using data to try to predict what earnings are going to do at various companies makes sense. And it naturally follows that if you can consistently predict which companies are about to beat on earnings and revenues and you pick those companies before the earnings surprise comes out, it follows, it makes common sense 
that you're gonna your investment performance is probably gonna be do you're, you're probably gonna perform well if you can consistently do that so the so that that gives you a little bit of insight as to what we're looking for so one of the reasons why we've used alpha DNA strategy is because it makes intuitive sense to us that if you collect data and apply an AI algorithm to it and if that AI algorithm can consistently and accurately predict earnings and revenue surprises we're going to be rewarded in terms of performance but we also recognize that there is no crystal ball out there so we hedge with options to protect the downside so the so the reason why we worked with alpha dna for so long is because we're we're kind of aligned in that viewpoint we understand how they're thinking we we believe in their strategy and uh, it aligns well with our thinking and what we're what we're trying to accomplish for our clients yeah yeah absolutely so i think the big takeaway here is you know um educate yourself know the difference between the different products different investment vehicles out there um ask your advisor whether it be us if you work with us or uh, someone else that you work with you know ask them why are we invested in this strategy or why did you pick this etf or this mutual fund right and if if they should have a good answer for it there and should be a reasoning and how is it going to protect me if if the market starts to, if we have another replay of 2008 or another replay of march of 2020 or whenever the next inevitable market crisis rears its head again how is this strategy going to protect me what is the strategy for limiting losses the next time market crisis appears that's another key question i think that should be asked yeah so educate yourself ask the tough questions don't don't like david said don't get um caught up with the pretty boxes or the pretty bows you know uh, go go find what's truly valuable and what what matters when it comes to your investments and your, what's going to dictate your investment performance so and as always we want to throw in a thought of the day so this is from jim Rohn. i thought this was good because we were just talking about um, self-education or educating yourself but formal education will make you a living self-education will make you a fortune so that's all we've got today look forward to you guys joining us next time Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com disclosures.